0: Uh, we are back in uh, what, what uh, perhaps might be, at least, our final week here, depending on how long the conversations take, um, in our study on women of and in the church. We talked about our three primary words, submission, shamefacedness, and silence, and we worked through those together, and then last time we were together we uh, began uh, talking about the actual practical application. So I said that those first three, the foundational elements, those first three ideas there were what I called prohibitive, right? Those are the things that, that, that the scriptures are saying are, uh, are, are the places where uh, women to be silent in the church, meaning that they are not I- intended to have uh, authoritative um, contribution to the assembly and then shamefacedness that they are not to uh, come to church wi- immodestly meaning broidered hair uh, wearing of pearls all of those things um, and the essence of that not necessarily being the thing itself but rather the idea of drawing undue or unnecessary attention to things other than your virtue and then finally uh, we talked about that uh, concept of silence uh, did I already say silence what's the third one Oh, I said silence instead of, submission was the first one. I skipped that one. Uh, Submission, which is that context within which um, we, we talked through 1 Corinthians 11 and the idea of design and God's design within the role of male and female. We talked about, so then what is the woman's role? And we we went to 1 Timothy 2 and we went through that idea of she shall be saved in childbearing. What does that mean that she shall be saved in childbearing? We looked uh, into that briefly. We talked through that and the nature of of God's intent that the women are those who bring about uh, the next generation of the church and that as their children uh, follow in sobriety and faith and holiness... Uh, there is the redeeming value uh, in, in her heart and certainly her contribution to the church. Um, every pastor that's ever stood behind the pulpit, every evangelist that's ever uh, um, gone out and won souls, every missionary who's ever gone on the field, every, every male who's, who has taught the Word of God from generation to generation was supply, supplied to the church by a mother. Right? And so there is a definite value there. Uh, that the Bible takes very uh, sees very highly and um, takes very seriously so we finish that and now we have two more ideas of the woman's contribution to the church that we need to think through and talk to or talk through so we talked about childbearing the second is service and as we think through this idea of service um, we see this in Romans chapter 16 1 uh, among other places where we might see women uh, serve in the church. Uh, Ro- Paul is writing in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, and he says this, he says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at uh, Kentria. And uh, the word here, servant, and this is where I told you we were going to get a little bit more controversial. Um, the word here, servant, is the word diakonos, or the word from which we get our word deacon. And it is in the feminine in this particular um, verse, naturally speaking, um, because it's speaking of Phoebe, their sister. And so it's very obvious that Phoebe was called, in this case, a servant of the church. And it is that word deacon. And this uh, brings up the question mark as to, does a, can a woman be a deacon? We might say a capital D deacon In the church. And that's what we're going to first think through, and then we'll kind of figure out uh, where to go from here from Romans 16. So there's two possibilities here. First is that the term deacon is used to describe, not designate. And we'll, we'll, Discuss more of that in just a moment, uh, and then the second is that there were actually deacons in the in, in the sense I, I should have made that capital D deacons. That in the as far as the office of the deacon is concerned, there were de- female deacons in the church, and this is not something that you you might um, necessarily. This is not something that is too foreign to various church models. The idea that there can be female deacons and and that for, if we might say it this way, somewhat good reason as we walk through the text. So if we think about the idea of deacon as descriptive, the word diakonos by no means refers only to an office in the church. This is important, right? If you think of um, the word elder... It actually goes along the same idea. When you read the word elder in the New Testament, you have to ask yourself a question. Is this talking about an elder as in the office of the elder? Like 1 Peter says, where Peter says, to the elders I write, who am also an elder? Feed the flock of God, taking oversight. And it's in that passage that we connect the fact that, the, that, that Peter instructed the elders to feed that word. So elder was, is the word presbyteros, from which we get the word Presbyterian. They're called the Presbyterians because they have an elder system in their church. It's a very strong elder system. So they called themselves Presbyterians. That's from the Greek word presbyteros, which is the word elder. So we see the elders. You know what? Why don't I just go there so that we can relate ourselves to this? Is it four? Five. So... The text says the elders which are among you, that word elders there is the word presbyteros, I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And then he gives the elders two commands. Feed the flock of God. That word feed there is the word poimaino. It's the verb form of the word poimen, which is the word shepherd, which is also the word in our New Testament Pastor. Pastor the flock. Feed the flock of God. And then he says, secondly, taking oversight. This is the Greek word episkopos, from which you get the Episcopalians. And it's the word in our Bible, which is oftentimes translated in the noun form bishop. So in First Timothy chapter 3, when it says, If any man desire the office of the bishop, he desireth the good work. That's that word episkopos. So the elders that were among them, Peter was commanding them that they do two things, pastor the flock and take oversight, bishop the flock. From this, from this passage, we draw out that pastor, bishop, elder in the Bible are one office. So we don't necessarily believe in a system where you have hierarchies of different things. You have the bishops and then underneath the bishops are the pastors and then the elders are under them. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have that system. It just means that it's not necessarily the biblical model, right? A, that, that, that we have to have all of those hierarchies there and that these have to be di- different or, or, or separated off. So we see the same idea. But when we ask this word elder, the word elder does not have to mean a leader in the church. It can just mean an old person, Right? And so the question when we read the New Testament is, are we talking about a leader in the church when we see the word elder, or are we talking about just an old person? And the same can be said of this idea of deacon. Are we talking about the deacons in the church, the office, or are we talking about just one who waits on tables, one who is an attendant, a servant? The Gospels use this word, diakonos, eight times, Every single time it's used in the Gospels, it's translated servant. At that point, of course, there had been no deacons in the church. Those would not be appointed until Acts, until the apostles realized that they, they they had too much on their plates, so they appointed servants. They appointed men who were there to take off of their plate the waiting on tables, the serving of others, so that they could attend to the Word of God and to prayer. And they could to get some stuff off of their plate. Some of the, the, the more logistics-oriented tasks that were necessary in the church. But then we see those deacons, and we see them, uh, Philip goes, and, and he actually kind of becomes an evangelist of his own. Right? And he uh, wins um, the, the, um, uh, the Samaritans, and then he is taken away in Ethiopian eunuch and all those things. And so we see this idea here of just servant. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul calls himself and Apollos servants that were being deacons by whom ye believed. Now, Paul was an apostle and he was an elder. We wouldn't necessarily believe that he has the office of the deacon. The apostles appointed deacons specifically to take things off of their plates. So Paul was an apostle. Peter was an apostle. He also called himself an elder. In, in that passage in 1 Peter 5. But we would believe that this deacon, this idea of him and, and, and Apollos being deacons is not necessarily an office as much as it is a description. They're, they served the church. And of course in Corinth, we know that if nothing else, he served the church by not asking them for funds. He was a tent maker so that he could he could minister to them. 2 uh, Corinthians uses the word in four verses, none of which reference the office of the deacon. And as I said, this is the same conflict we find with the word elder. It can mean old person or it can be an office in the church. So the question then becomes, well, pastor, okay, so in First and Second Corinthians, it's, it's servant. In uh, the Gospels, it's servant. But what about in Romans? See, because Romans chapter 16, verse 1 is where we're talking here. So, did when Paul used the word before, did it mean a deacon in the church? This is our first instance of the word found in Romans chapter 13, verse 4. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Who can tell me who this is talking about here? Law enforcement. Law enforcement. This is the government. Romans 13 begins with, submit to your government, right? Submit to the, 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 your, your ordained earthly authorities. And one of those ordained functions of our earthly authority is to punish evil and reward good. And... He's called here a deacon of God. Not a deacon of the church, but a deacon nonetheless. So our first instance of this word, deacon, is to speak of our civil authorities and the servant nature that they're supposed to have uh, to um, their citizens by punishing evil and rewarding good. Second instance, Romans 15, verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Uh, This is speaking of Jesus as a deacon. Um, We're not talking about him in the office of the deacon, right? Uh, We are talking about him. He was pre-church. He happens to be our Lord and Savior and not a deacon in the church. And so here's that word again, though. He was a servant. He was a deacon. And then we get Romans chapter 16, verse 1. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Cantria. And so here we we find um, Phoebe described as well. There is no precedent in Romans for us to say that Paul is speaking of the office. Now, in this case, it does say of the church. So we are connected closer to the church here than we would see with the minister... the the government minister, or, of course, Jesus Christ. Phoebe is in that church age, and it is said that she is a deacon of the church in this sense. Uh, So there, there is a closer idea there, but there is no linguistic precedence in Romans for us to say, yes, this is most certainly when Paul wrote that word, what they were thinking was an office. Because that wasn't his context in Romans chapter 13. It wasn't his context in Romans chapter 15. And so it doesn't, there's nothing that would lend us to the belief that it would be his context in Romans 16. So that's the idea of the descriptive use um, of the deacon. The most relevant use is in Romans. Uh, The other two uses are not about the office of the deacon, but about being a servant of God in the capacity unto which he has chosen. So if you step into the role of government, you immediately become a servant of your people. That's the way it's supposed to be, at least. It's not really that way anymore. But um, that's what you're supposed to be. And in doing so... You are a minister of God, representative of God to the people. And in, in the case of Romans 13, speaking specifically of a law enforcement role, a role of punishing evil and rewarding good. Um, and then Jesus Christ is being a servant of the circumcision. So now let's talk about, oh, before we get, move on to that, any, any questions or thoughts on deacon as a descriptive term? Servant. Yeah, and I actually bring this up kind of in in our concluding thoughts. It's a very good thought, and we will come back to it. But when we think about a deacon, um, and we are thinking, okay, can can a woman be a deacon? One of the questions is, what is a deacon supposed to be? Because our churches, especially Baptist churches, because Baptist churches have gone to 1 Timothy 3 and said there's two offices, pastor and deacon. What they have done thus is they've said, well, pastors are the people on the payroll and they're the ones who teach and administer in that, administrate in that sense. And then we have a group of lay leaders in the church. And because there's only two offices, pastor and deacon, they make the lay leaders the deacons. But, and so the lay leaders effectively become what we might call an elder board or what we might call a board of directors. And so in doing so, we have placed... Into onto the purpose of the deacon, something which isn't necessarily what the deacons of the Bible are described as, and in doing that, the question then becomes, okay, if, if that's going to be what a deacon is, then yeah, there's a good reason why we would understand that women should not be deacons, because when we talk about the idea of those who are leading in the church, we certainly would want to be very thoughtful about the idea of having women on a board of directors for decision-making in the church when women are not to usurp authority over the man. And so there's a real reason why we might have that. But is that what a deacon is supposed to do? And if we boil what a deacon is supposed to do down to what a deacon, the Bible describes a deacon as being, then is it still a problem to say we can have women deacons. So that's a good question that we need to think about, uh, and we'll, we'll talk through the, the deacon passages, and then we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully have a good, lively discussion on that. Good. Any other, any other questions or thoughts uh, on, on this? Okay. Let's talk about the office, as, as it were, of the deacon. We see this three times in the New Testament. Uh, the first is in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And this is where they begin. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because of their because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So there um, there was not enough. There was there was a neglect happening because there weren't enough people doing the the work of the ministry, and. Um, the Grecians were particularly grumpy about this uh, because their widows were being neglected, uh, As uh, that, that being that the, the, the church was primarily Jewish, and so it seems as though there was a lot. It's not that they were, na- they were being bigoted in their priority or anything of the sort, but maybe just closer families, closer-knit community, whatever it might be, the Grecian folks were being forgotten. Then the Twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word of, God's, the word of God. And this idea of serving tables here, this is that word to deacon, diakoneo, um, from which we get diaconos. So they say it's not, we, we don't have the time and the resources to do everything. And we need to keep ourselves committed to, the word, to to ministering the word of God in prayer. so we need to choose some people to do the ministration so that things like the widows don't get neglected anymore so that all, all of the administra- all, all of these, these logistical, logistics things can be done and of course Stephen was chosen there uh, and then we see Philippians chapter one and this um, Uh, is where we see the office the two offices put together, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Um, and so we see a bishop and deacon combined here at the Church of Philippi. You have the saints, that's the the, 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 the church general, and then you have the bishops and the deacons, right? And those would have been what we would consider offices. And that's all rooted in 1 Timothy 3. And that's the, the third passage here. Um, we see in 1 Timothy 3, first, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And then we see the qualifications of the bishop. These are things which a man who desires to be in this role of leader, again, because we recognize from 1 Peter 5, bishop to be a role that is combined with the pastor as an elder. We would say elder is the office. Bishop and pastor are functions of the office, if you will. Um, this would apply to not just an administrating elder, but also to, of course, the teaching elder, especially in that one of the requirements is that he be apt to teach. So we, we see those requirements. And it is within these requirements that we see here in verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant and sober. And so we see this idea that that the bishop is to be a husband of one wife. Uh, This falls in naturally with what we find in the word of God, that that the female is not to to teach or to usurp authority over the male. And to that end, we understand that um, all bishop elder pastors are to be men, In the church, they have the commission to teach, they are called to be apt to teach, um, and they are called to be the husband of one wife. There is no anticipation of anything else. It's in the second half, then, in verse 8, that we see deacons. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, and then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So we once again see a requirement that the deacons be the husband of one wife, and in that we have that requirement. We take for granted, perhaps, the idea that, once again, we are expecting there to be, these to be men. The office is to be men, but there is a slight difference in how we see the expectation here of deacons that has caught the eye of many a uh, person here. Um, So Romans 16.1, Phoebe is called the deacon. We we, we saw that. And if we continue in that text, which we will in a little bit, uh, she is said to have business. And she exhorts the church to assist her in her business. Now, again, this is a moot point. If 1 Timothy 3 tells us only men can be deacons, the text is not abundantly clear on this. And the reason why, and we've already read it, is because the word here, uh, in First Timothy 3.11. So this is before, this is before the husband of one wife requirement. So we see here in verse 11, Even so must their wives be grave, not slander, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. Uh, so there have been some people that have been interested by the order of this. And why it's so interesting is because there is no requirement for the women, for the wives of the pastors. It doesn't say for a bishop that his wife must be grave, not a slanderer, sober sober and faithful in all things. And isn't this interesting? He still has to be the husband of one wife. He still has to rule his, his, his children and, and have them in subjection. But there is no commandment that their wives be anything. So why would it be that there's no commandment to the bishops that their wives have to be in line, but there is a commandment to the deacons that their wives have to be in line? And this raises a strange Question mark in folks' minds, and then we look at the wording here. Of course, we we know that uh, must their wives be grave? You saw that those were in italics in the King James there, and the word here, kas, which is women, is the word women. It doesn't it doesn't mean wife. It means women now usually we connect it with the word wife when there's a possessive idea to it they're women if uh, m- m- if I if I talk about my woman everyone knows that I'm talking about my wife because she is my woman she's no one else's woman she's my woman no one else can have her she's mine she's my wife that so so when we look in the scriptures there is a, a common contextualization that we can do where we say we're talking about But there's any number of times in the New Testament where this word comes up where it's quite clear that that it's not a wife or it's ambiguous. It could be wife or it could be woman. And so in that this comes before that command for the the deacons to be the husbands of one wife. In that we see no command for the bishops to have their wives in any sort of, uh, the character of the bishop's wife. There are many here who say, This isn't telling them that their wives must be grave, slanderer, sober, and faithful in all things. This is saying the women deacons must be. The women must be. If you are going to be a woman deacon, then you are going to be grave, not a slanderer, sober, and faithful in all things. And then you can be elevated to this role in the church. Now, that brings us to an interesting thing, though, because now we have a, an interesting dichotomy where we have, if this is the case, the women deacons who have these, these um, requirements. And, of course, they wouldn't just have these. They'd have, um, uh, they'd have to be blameless, improved, um, not greedy, of filthy lucre, not given to much wine, not double-tongued and such. But then we have in verse 12 the idea that, that the male deacon must rule over their children in their own house as well because, of course, that, that idea of, of having their, their, their family in line is a reflection upon him as a leader. And so this is where the debate lies. And I think it's a valid debate. There's, there's a lot here in the language that is... That 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 is strange, strange enough to to give us a valid question mark as to whether or not this is allowing for women to be seen as a deacon in the office sense. What are your thoughts? Hmm. Yeah, and that, that comes back to that same question, that same, what, what authority, right? What authority does a deacon have? And um, uh, those are the considerations, right? The differences between the biblical deacons and modern deacons, and then, of course, those distinctions of 1 Timothy 3.12, which we already kind of talked about that, that 1 Timothy 3.12 was ruling uh, his own house well, Right. It really does come down to what do we think a deacon is in the church. So what what do we have? We have Acts chapter 6. We have the idea that the widows were being neglected in the daily ministration and that seven disciples were chosen, seven men. We see that they chose seven men, right? So they chose men, men of honest report, and that these men, Philip and Prochorus and Uh, Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas and Stephen. And so we see these men that are chosen, and we know that then they went off to greater ministries. Some of them, not Stephen. uh, Well, he did. He had a greater ministry, and then he was summarily stoned. Um, But we we see that Philip had had quite a ministry, and that that, that, um, these men were men who were appointed deacons, and then they went, and let me ask you this. We call him Philip the deacon. But when he went and he won Samaria, and then he went to the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Lord took him to the Ethiopian eunuch, would we? Would you lot that into his role as a deacon? Would you lot that into a deacon function? Sam? I'd lump it into an evangelist function too. So... We don't we can't necessarily say, well, a deacon must be a man because Philip went and preached the gospel and 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 one one Samaria and then went and, and preached to the Ethiopian eunuch as a deacon. well yes, he had been appointed a deacon, and then maybe because the deacons are the men of the church who are who are faithful and and and, and zealous and um, and stable the Lord then move them on to further ministry. Um, That's not necessarily unfounded for us to think, right? So we see that here. Um, Let's go back to Romans 16. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Kentria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved uh, Epinetus maybe, Epinitus, something to that effect, uh, who is the firstborn of Achaea unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles. That doesn't mean they were apostles. It means that, that the apostles took note of them, okay? Who were also, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved, salute Apelles, approved in Christ, salute them which are of uh, Aristobulus, uh, his household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. greet them that be of the household of Narcissus. Imagine uh, imagine being Narcissus and then getting saved. Um, uh, uh. So anyway, that's uh, time I read that. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labor much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute. And then it goes on, right? Many, many, many women's names here. Many women's names. Okay, so we have women in the church. We have Phoebe serving the church and doing things, and Paul saying, "Help her out with whatever she needs." We, we certainly talk about Priscilla and Aquila. Paul talks about them as a team, right? Uh, they, they, they did. They labored together. They labored with him. He says that they were both his helpers in Christ. And so we ask the question again here. As, it, as we, we look at this word, um, we see servant we see deacon, we see the office of the deacon, we see the possibility of females falling into that office of the deacon, and we simply have to ask the question, what does a deacon do? We don't have much insight into that. We really don't. The only thing we have is that they served the apostles so that the apostles could dedicate themselves to the teaching of the Word of God and of prayer. Now, where does this leave us with women in the church? Well, this leaves us in two places. First, the question as to whether or not women can be, as it were, official deacons is, is, is a valid question. But we, what, what do, if, if, if we decide that women can, be, can hold the office of the deacon in our church, what are the implications of that as it relates to the office of the deacon in our church? Does that, does that question make sense? What would that mean for how we see the office of the deacon if we're going to be scripturally consistent and obedient? I'd say it's a designated servant given to those things that are not leadership, but as I said, the way weight on the tables and such, plenty of opportunities to serve, yep. but not to authoritate. Right. So we, what we know is that if, if if we have women deacons in the office sense, then what we will what we see the deacon as is a servant to the leadership. Right? Is that they are not teaching or usurping authority? There's no there's no requirement that they be apt to teach. There's no requirement that they that there's a requirement among men that they rule their house well. Certainly, of course, don't don't see that carry over to, to any sort of command to the women. And that's where, if we were looking in, that 1 Timothy 3.12 still does give an air that there's almost a taking for granted that it's men that he's talking to. And that's perhaps one of the reasons why there's been a de facto, default, kind of fallback to men or deacons. But whether or not we regard the office in such a way or not, can we all recognize that the function of servanthood in the church, is one that does not, in the scriptures, fall solely in any way, shape, or form on just men. That as far as taking things off of the plate of the leaders of the church so that they may dedicate themselves to the study of the word of God and to prayer, that servant waiting on table sort of idea, that that is something that is open to men and women alike in the church. Thoughts? Sarah. Hmm. Well, yes, but but when we when we talk about the this idea, it's 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 an idea of uh, the things that not not just you know serving one another. yes, there is the command by Let's serve one another, and so we acknowledge that we're all going to be serving one another in that regard. But we would certainly see here in the idea that. Um, Paul is commanding the entire church to assist Phoebe in her business for the church, that she's obviously got something bigger going on, right, than just she comes in and starts doing what everyone else is doing as far as back-and-forth service. Did you have something else to... Okay. It looked like you had something else to say there. But, but, But yes, we are all to serve one another... But it does seem as though there's also this added, the idea that, you know, there's things to be done in the church, and it is, it is not inconsistent for a ministry to find some faithful, godly woman in the church and see her get some of those things done when they're not in a capacity of leadership uh, over, over the church or of teaching. Now, of course, we, we typically distinguish that carefully in the church and say, well, if it's a ministry, uh, if it's a teaching over you know women, right, a women's Sunday school class, naturally we would fully expect that a woman can teach that because she's not usurping authority uh, or, or she, she she's not teaching men or usurping authority over the men unless she's contradicting her pastor in her Sunday school class, right? Um, and that would be something that would be the same though for man or woman teaching Sunday school. Don't usurp the authority of the pastor in your teaching role uh, if you're a lay teacher in any of those given capacities. We know that she certainly wouldn't have a teaching office in the church not like the office you sit in but a, a, the, the official office of a teacher because that would uh, be inconsistent with her commission. Andrea. Andrea.
1: Mm. Someone is specifically designated to do jobs that the church needs in any capacity or one or another capacity, um, that is not available to spend this. So I thought you're going to go to hope that kind of thing or freeing it. it's freeing those people up to do it. Maybe they had other needs of their own taken care of, so
0: that they were available. Um, this order, yep, order. Yeah, and, and, and that, that would be a good word to describe it, um, or to, to describe one wing of, of opportunity there, is facilitating order, organization in, the, in that way. Other thoughts? Nathaniel. Well, right. So, so again, in the church, we take for granted that we need women servants. We just don't take for granted that we would call them deacons. And the question that that perhaps we should confront in the church is: Why should we? Um, and that comes down, of course, again to how we would define it in the church, Robin. So um, Robin brings up Deborah in the Old Testament. And this is, this is an interesting case study in the book of Judges, though I don't exactly remember. I think it's fairly early in the book of Judges um, that, that we find Deborah and Barak. Um, better just look it up. Judges for yep. so um, and Deborah was a prophetess. Now we actually do see in the New Testament um, the the prophetess role as well. Philip's daughters is it Philip's daughters that that were prophetesses that told um, Paul not to go to Jerusalem um, and prophesied that he would if he went to Jerusalem that he would be um, that he would he would not not return that he would he would he would. He would die in that he would be arrested and 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 such and um so I think it was let's see Anna was called a prophetess. we don't I don't the word prophetess is not there as it relates to um hope it wouldn't have been in x2 would have been toward the end of x Let's see if it was philip be toward the end here Yeah, Philip the Evangelist. Uh, Acts chapter 21. The next day, verse 8, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven. So by, by this point, he's not Philip the deacon. He's Philip the Evangelist, right? And abode with him. The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea and, and um, uh, a prophet named Agabus. And I guess it was Agabus that, that mentioned those things, perhaps, maybe not Philip's daughters. Um, but um, said that, that the, they did prophesy. Um, and we'll connect that to 1 Corinthians 11 and the idea of prophecy. But we have Deborah. And Deborah was given a, a role in Israel as a prophetess, one who spoke for the Lord. Um, what do we do with a? Um, well, actually, may, may, maybe this would fall into. Um, well, let, let's 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 focus on it. What do we do, with Deborah? How do we assess? Um, so, if 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 we were, it was judges four right. So. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at the time. She dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Uh, Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men? And so she commissions him to do this thing, and he says, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go, but if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And, of course, the woman that Sisera was delivered into was not Deborah. It was Jael uh, in, in the, the tent when she uh, took the spike and jammed it through his, his uh, temple. But um, we, this, is, this is what we find of Deborah the prophetess what do we see about her role in Israel? And and what, what what correlations might we be able to make to the church, if any? Thoughts? Sarah? I don't know if this can be taken over to the church in a sense that I believe it's in the Old Testament that God says, as a punishment, you'll have women who will adultery. mm In Isaiah, there's uh, women and children will rule over you. So what what you say that I absolutely agree with is we find that, and there is a reflection here, that the prophetess commissions Barak to do this thing, to effectively be this judge, right? And he says, I won't go unless you go with me. And what Sarah mentioned that I agree with, although it's not explicitly laid out in the text, is that this shows a... It shows a a spirit among Barak, and Barak being the chosen of God in this case, a a spirit among Barak, and so we might say of the men, of being unwilling to step up and step into the role that God would desire them to. And the reason why we might be able to say that with a measure of confidence is because when Barak says, I won't do this unless you go with me, number one, we see that reflection, right, of um, of. of an unwillingness to step up there without Deborah going with him. But then that comes with a direct consequence. And the direct consequence is that Barak will not be the one that is allowed to be the, the true victor over Sisera. Instead, a woman will be. And in that a woman would be the direct victor, um, that, is we might liken it to when Moses is complaining with God about the fact that he can't speak and God says, Well fine then, Aaron can speak. He'll be your voice for you. And we see there in that a, a soft rebuke. It's a soft rebuke that says, now you won't be the 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 guy alone, but Aaron will be one that I I I'll use some of Aaron now too, not just you. And and God says, well fine then Barak if you won't step up, then I will use someone else as well, and not just you. Uh, so we see that there, and, and it's, it's, it's by implication. Uh, anything else about Deborah? Do we, do we feel as though it can correlate in any way? Nathaniel? Um, here's the dominox thoughts that come through my brain. Uh, the first one is uh, from judges. Uh, never a good idea to establish a doctrine from judges, so there's a whole yeah. sign that says, eh, careful. Yep. Yep. And that commandment, and prior to this, and perhaps you can help me. I don't recall any specification that a woman is not to eat, but that God told Adam that he would. You know, there's the husband and wife. The husband, and wife, wife, for sure. Yep. But Deborah would not be trespassing against any command. Correct.
1: Right. And culturally, it's you know,
0: a strange thing for a woman to be more like she called out the man. You know, why are you doing what God told you to do? And this does not violate anything of that dispensation. Correct. Well, right and, and so right so, so the translation into the New Testament we, know, we certainly know that the translation from anything that the Lord might have shown as far as Deborah or, um, or, or any of the other women that have to uh, take some measure of, of lead um, uh, um, Nabal's wife. Abigail. Uh, she, she also takes initiative right, and uh, saves her husband and her household, and uh, speaks directly to David, which was something that would have been culturally un- uh, uh, unexpected, at the very least, in the day, right? So we see these women who will take initiative, who will step up and who will lead, and and Nathaniel's absolutely right, we do not see a precedent. We do not see a command in the Old Testament that says women cannot do such. What we do see in the New Testament is that they cannot that, that well we see the Old Testament command as it relates to the family and we see the New Testament command as it relates to the family and the church. Um, everything else that we we would see we would see as a as a matter of um, example more than we'd see as a matter of command. and uh, we do um, we do see, by way of example, that it was not um, it was not king or uh, in, in except with uh, um, one instance of, of wickedness. It was not, say, as far as civil leadership was concerned, king or queen in Israel. It was king, right? It was always a succession of kings. It was not. Priest or priestess in Israel, it was always priest, and so we all, we do see a trend of again male leadership, but we do see these things where there are there is Deborah the prophetess, there uh, is the um, the wise woman of uh, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the the town where the, the there was the wise woman who it was, it, it, it was uh, there there's a couple of instances of wise women. One, I believe, in the days of the judges and one in the days of David, both which came from this particular town. That was the witch of Endor. There's the witch of Endor. That, that's another, another thing altogether, right? But um, there, the, oftentimes, diviners and such were women, witches um, and such. They were often women, and we might believe that to be so. Women tend to have a little bit of a clearer connection to the spiritual, it seems, um, a lot of times than men do. Um, so that that's not surprising. That women tend to be uh, more in tune with the spirit realm. Um, uh, let's see if we can just find it real quick. I'm not I'm not even sure exactly what to um, tacoa um, the the wise woman of tacoa that interacted with David, um, and then I believe there's also one after Gideon where don't they chase uh, one of the kings into a city and then the, the 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 they're surrounding the city to destroy it and she comes out and says what do you need to not destroy the city and they say we want the the head of so and so and so she says she goes in and she says they want this guy's head, and they chop off his head and throw it over, and then and then the the, the, the armies disperse. So there, uh, and I believe both of those were in that to, uh, from that that city or or something to that effect. Anyway, um, there was a woman of Tekoa, and she was this wise woman, and she was well known as a wise woman, right? So we do see these sort of these instances that help us recognize that it is not to say that God cannot use or speak through women even Philip's daughters, we would recognize that there was something about them that was notable enough to mention it when Paul was passing through there as women that did prophesy. Uh, so we, we see that, that God can certainly raise up women in a role, in a, in a spiritual role, in a wisdom role, in a guidance role, um, and this is not inconsistent Because this isn't talking about a church leadership sort of an idea. Even the idea of a woman who has the wisdom to give good advice, sound advice, biblical advice, doesn't necessarily uh, um, breach the idea of teaching or usurping authority in the church over the man. Sam. Yep.
1: Right. And she's judged and then, and then healed from that. So it's interesting that there's still that authority structure in the Old Testament, yet she was there, she,
0: she took a, at least kind of, it seemed like a leadership role. Yes, within, yep, um, for sure. Yeah, Miriam definitely did take on a leadership, and I, I, would, I would be comfortable calling it a, a sort of prophetess role, Um in, in Israel in those early days. But as you mentioned, um, when she and Aaron spoke against Moses, the, the, the consequences were severe. And uh, Moses still was that man. Right? He was God's man in that sense um, at the top. Um, good. Any other, any other Old Testament thoughts that come to mind that, that might at least give us food for thought? Good. So as we, as we come to, to our, our thoughts again on this, um, it, it seems to me that it, uh, this does come down to how a church would label the deacon. And there is good argument to be made for um, the idea that, okay, Deacons are understood as something. So if we want to keep a, a, safe, a safe distance from, from the potential to set a precedent for danger, that you keep the, the, the label deacon to what it's understood, has historically been understood to be, and you don't, you don't blur those lines. That being said, that's only a part of me that says that, because the other part of me is the part of me that planted this church that does everything weird. Right And wants to re reclaim labels that maybe have been mixed up and reclaim them for what they're supposed to be and allow them to function properly, so I don't think that necessarily either way would be wrong, so if you hear of deaconesses in a church it's worth digging into, okay, what does that mean? Because it, it may not necessarily be anything of, of, of problem. I was just talking to a pastor a little while ago, and he's hoping to reconfigure his church, and one of the things he, he had said was, you know, customarily what the church has done is the church has has, uh, that they, they, they've had kind of a, it's a Baptist church, a deacon board type thing, and so we've elected deacons to be this deacon board, and, and the church has elected these guys based upon, you know, whatever you want to say, popularity contest, or, 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 or just familiarity, or the people that are willing to, or whatever the case may be, and he said, and what what he's going to do is they'll have, they'll have a board, a board of directors, a board of elders, whatever you want to call it, that will take the functional place of the leadership of the deacon board. And then the deacons are going to be those people who the church identifies as those who are serving. He said, there are people right now who are already doing that work. He said, there's a guy that comes and every week he just comes and he mows the lawn of the church. You know, no one even ever asked him to do it. He just started doing it. And uh, he said, and there's a woman, and she goes and she visits people. No one's asked her to do it. She just does it every week. And he said, we'll choose them, and they'll be our deacons, right? Uh, If if they're willing, they'll become our deacons. And, And that idea is simply... Who in the church has a heart and a commission to serve, who is is a faithful and a proper biblical role model? And let's ask them if they would be willing to take upon themselves this responsibility in an official capacity where the pastor feels as though he can lean on them when there's something that needs to be done and he can call them up and say, this needs to be done. Can you help get it done? And I think that there's something entirely valid to that. But there's also some, it's also entirely valid for us to say, well, we're going to leave this to a group of men who will effectively become more of a leadership role in the church. But the danger of that is this, that they become the elder board, the, the board of directors, and then we don't actually have anyone serving, which is what most Baptist churches have. They have a group of men who are the deacons, And those deacons go to their deacon meeting and they make decisions for the church. They maybe commission committees. They uh, make the decisions. They um, do all all of the budgetary stuff. They talk through all of that. But then who are they serving? What are they taking off the pastor's plate? As a matter of fact, most deacon boards that I've been familiar with do the opposite. They add more burdens to the deacon, to the pastor's. They they're the ones that become a they 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 fill his nightmares. That's not what deacons are supposed to do, all right? And so, of course, this isn't a deacon lesson, this is a a female lesson, but we can't answer the question of this in the deacon capacity until we, we've decided that. Now, that's, not, that's neither here nor there for tonight. What is tonight is this. It's quite obvious that women have a very real role in serving in the church and that the opportunity for women to serve in the church is one that should only be constrained by those limitations that are explicitly put on her. I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. That is, and then those are are three words. Submission, shamefacedness, silence. As long as a woman can do, can can serve the church in submission, shamefacedness, and silence, she should not be hindered in it. And that's the concluding thought of this and everything else. You know, would have to be hand, hammered out in, in logistics as it relates to what is a deacon and, and, and what ought it to be. Now, uh, Robin also did mention there, um, you know, the, the idea of, of Deborah, you know, Deborah who was a prophetess. And this next time, it'll be it'll have to be next week. We will talk through prayer and prophecy and what opportunities lie for women in prayer and prophecy, and we'll we'll talk through that next time as it relates to this idea of service regardless of where, where, where it falls in the office of the deacon. Hope I've given you some stuff to think about. But regardless of, of where that lies, any questions or, or further thoughts about the nature of women serving service of the church or serving the church in, in, in any capacity that's in line with submission, shamefacedness, and silence as we've defined them? Andrea? I was thinking of the 1 Timothy list for the widows that would be counted for the university. It says washed the feet of the same assembly. Yep. Is that five? Yeah, widows indeed. If any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first. And so the idea um is. The, the 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 question here is the widow that is worthy of being completely cared for by the church and um, the the requirement as it were is uh, that she's desolate that she trusts in God continues in supplications and prayers night and day that um, t- 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 that he, he specifically says here, not under 60 years old, because if they're under 60 years old, just let them get remarried. Well reported of for good works, brought up children, lodged strangers, washed the saints' feet, relieved the afflicted, diligently followed every good work. Um, and so this is um, speaking of... The, this is a reflection of her character. We might even add it to kind of the Titus chapter 2 idea of the young women and the elderly women um, teaching the younger women and, and, and that, that, that nature of virtue. Um, and so the essence here is not that you have to have a checklist and say, well, have you ever washed any saints' feet before we can ta- add you to the support? No. The idea here is that was she a woman who reflected Christian virtue in the manner in which she lived her life? right, and is she the kind of faithful, God-fearing, obedient woman, because what they didn't want is for the church to take in someone who was going to become a gossip and a busybody and use the fact that she is now being cared for as a means by which to divide people, tear people down, uh, and, and cause issues both in the church and, and uh, not just in the church, but for the church as it relates to testimony, uh, so we do have some things there. Whether or not um, this is an adequate reflection of, well, what do you think? Would you, would you consider this, this testimony here, her good works, brought up children, lodged strangers, washed the saints' feet, relieved the afflicted, diligently followed every good work. Would you uh, consider that a, a fairly good, complete description of what a, woman, what, 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 a, what a good woman in the church looks like? what serving the church looks like. Sarah? Okay. Yeah. So, so I think what you're saying here is that this is is almost more of like a a list of personal virtues than church virtues. A woman who raises her children, lodges strangers, so she's hospitable toward those who are in need. Uh, She serves the others in the church. So more like we were talking about the difference between a deacon who's taking things off of the plate of the pastor versus just a good church member. Who we're all serving and loving one another as, as we are called. So you're saying that, that, that this list seems to fall more into the you're a good Christian in that sense, then this would look more like like a, de, like a deacon Well I, I, I don't know that would be any Well, the requirement thing is just a widow thing, so OK, any other thoughts? Right, it's kind of a bucket, so yeah. As far as the principal goal,
1: we're, we're not, like you said, you said, we're not painting the checklist, but in the general principle, we're, we're painting a nice picture of what
0: that would look like for a, a one who has served well. All yeah. of these are service things there. There's right. nothing there that's just, oh,
1: I don't get angry. Everything on that list
0: relates to service. Yeah, and I, I think I would tend to agree with you that um, as we look at this list, there are a couple of personal things. Of course, bringing up children, which we already know is the primary way to serve the church, right? That's that's the one that Paul actually singles out. We talked about that all last week. And then lodging strangers is a little bit more of a personal idea, uh, the, uh, the the hospitality type. But all of the other ones, washing the saints' feet, relieving the eff- and diligently following every good work. Again, diligently following every, every good work is an umbrella term. But I, I, I think that if, if, uh, if I were appointing someone uh, to help me, the, the, the terms washing the saints' feet and relieving the afflicted would be terms that would, would, would well fit into the idea of, as a pastor, I need to write my sermons, I need to pray, I need to do the things I need to do, but there's someone in the hospital uh, and I need, or or, or there's someone who needs um, a grocery run or there's someone who um, needs an ear for two hours on the phone. Uh, There's someone who uh, needs something. And so if, if there's a woman in the church who I could call, and I'm not saying there aren't, by the way, this is, I'm just saying, you know, that I can call a woman and say, hey, such and such a, uh, a, a woman, such and such a widow, such and such a uh, whoever it might be, needs this and this and that, could you take care of it? I think that that could well fall into the serving of the church role, um, so that this is a, a, a probably actually somewhat of a of a good list, uh, quite a good list as it would relate to women. What can you do in the church, right? That's the question. What can you do in the church? What does it look like to serve the church? Well, I'd say all of these things, yeah. This is, this is you serving the church. Find the afflicted and relieve them. Washing the saints' feet, the idea of uh, is not... It was a picture, right? Like we talk about head coverings and everything else. The idea of washing feet is... Uh, Something that was done in the Old Testament because they typically wore open shoes and they would walk through dusty roads. And so you walk from place to place and at the end of the place you came to, you would get to the place where you're going inside the house. And when it was time to go inside the house, one of the things that you would do is wash your feet because they got mucky and grimy and dusty and nasty and and such. And we see this reflected in Jesus's life as just before his uh, the end of his ministry, he bowed down and he washed the feet of the disciples, and uh, they were all quite surprised. And Peter was actually quite affronted by this. And the reason why is because the washing of the feet was the thing that was to be done either by the servant or by the one who is the lowest, right? the humblest, um, the host, whatever it might be. And Jesus washing the feet, he says, As I have done to you, do you to do to everyone else. The idea there is humble yourself to even the most menial task of service and do it and do it for others. So the, the expectation of the widow who would be that woman of godliness and of virtue who the church would say, yes, she, she needs help. Her husband is dead. She's over 60. She can't remarry. We are going to subsidize the rest of her life. And that's what, that's what, that's what this is talking about. Her, her children won't do it. Her, family won't, her extended family won't do it. Her husband is dead. We are going to subsidize the rest of her days. But they said not unless she was a woman who has borne the fruit of one who has actually been faithful. And this is the, this, this is the list of faithfulness. And uh, of course we see on here, serving others, humbling herself before others, pouring herself out for others, uh, seeking the afflicted and relieving them, ready to do every good work. Women, these are all things that are wonderful for you. Now, again, we couch that in the context of what we talked about last week. Women, you're right in the the dead center of raising your kids, and there's you 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 uh, you. It's all you can do to raise your children. Okay. Well, you know, as opportunities arise, of course. Any godly, virtuous woman and any godly, virtuous man is going to overflow the, the opportunities to serve. But you're going to be limited in your capacity because your focus is going to be on that first one, brought, bringing up your children. And then you can leave to some of the other women, the older women who have brought up their children, the younger women who don't have children, uh, the, the, the women who have not been given children, and you can leave to them the other tasks that the women can do in the church. And then you raise your children, you bring up your children. So I think it is a good list. And uh, a, a good, thank you, Andrea, a very good um, reflection of, of what serving the church is, as, as a woman would look like.